I'm going to continue on with the, um, the sermons that we have been doing, Born for This. And today um, I want to talk to you about not quitting. Don't quit. When the test of the delay hits you, when things don't happen when you want them to happen, the temptation is always to quit. So we want to go back to uh, what we did to refresh it in your mind and talk about where we come. Now, last time we preached, we talked about the fact that you are sharp and polished as a sword. Each one of us are like a sword and we've been sharpened and polished and uh, we're going to get better and not bitter. When life situations hit us, there's always the temptation to get bitter about it, you know, and say, well, this is tough, things are bad, and you get a, a bitter attitude. About, no, but we're not going to get bitter, we're going to get better. And we're going to recognize that we are chosen, God has chosen us, and we, even though things are slow, we're not forgotten. God hasn't forgotten us. He's got a plan for our lives. And we're going to focus outward to the things out rather than become focused inwards because when thing, bad things happen the temptation is always to look in at yourself and say poor is poor poor me poor poor me you know I'm such a victim in this whole life thing you know and you know everything is so bad out there and the temptation is to look inward but we don't want to do that because that's always a dead end street because when you go in there there's nowhere else to go so let's look out Let's see if we can use the difficulties that we face and, the, and learn the lessons of the difficulties that we face. And some of us have been through some deep, deep water. You know, some of us have gone through some real breaking times. Some of us have been broken. You know, and well, we're all broken, but really broken. And, and you know, God can use all of that to help other people. He says we can comfort with the comfort that we have been comforted with. And that's a wonderful thing because that means that there's a purpose for all of us. We can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Amen? Why don't you just say that? I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Turn around to somebody and say, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Phil, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. <laughs> All right. So during the sharpening time, the polishing, we can oftentimes lose focus at that point of the exercise. I mean, remember when, the, when something is polished, it's usually you, you rub it in hard and it's like, you know, that's when the pressure is on your life. That's when the pain is there. That's when, the, when you beat the sword to make the sword sharp and sharpen the sword with the file. It, it, that, uh, that's when it's really hard, you know, because you're feeling pain. And it's very easy at the time of feeling pain to become disheartened because you're feeling such pain. I, I got... Carlos, where is he? He's here somewhere. He was, I saw him walking around. I'm glad he's not here to give me a massage the other week. Never get a massage from Carlos. He thinks he's doing you better, but you're glad to be alive when he's finished. He said to me, you are my guinea pig. And I said, yeah, Peruvians eat guinea pigs. <laughs> I wanted to know what he was going to do with me when he'd finished. <laughs> it, I, it felt like he was tenderizing the guinea pig. <laughs> he must have had a barbecue somewhere. He was going to cook me or something. <laughs> anyway, sometimes when you're in the pain, it doesn't feel real good. You know, when you're feeling the pain, it can very focus on yourself. You know, because the pain is so hard. And uh, we know um, that Jesus felt that too, feeling the pain and and suffering in that 
situation is what Jesus felt. Now, we, if we go back to our passage of Scripture, which was Isaiah 49, verse 4, we read, and we know it's a messianic uh, passage of Scripture. And what I mean by messianic is it speaks to us about Jesus' coming. It speaks to us about what Jesus would be going through and that Jesus was the polished sword, that Jesus was the polished arrow, and, uh, and as Jesus was, so are we. And then it says these words, But I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing at all, Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And so we, we get this sort of feeling that the Messiah, at some point in his life, must have felt this sense of hopelessness in his, in his experience of pain and in his experience with his disciples. Some people have sort of said, nah, no, that can't be so. Jesus couldn't be touched with that sort of infirmity. That sort of, that sort of thing wouldn't touch Jesus. Jesus was, he was above all that stuff. Well, that's not what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture tells us very carefully. It says, we have a great high priest, in Hebrews it says, um, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to our faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet did not sin so he has felt that he has felt the pain he knows what it's like to get disillusioned he knows what it's like to be disheartened with situation he says let us then approach the, the god's throne of grace with with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need and i think that's hebrews chapter 4 that's in isn't it hebrews chapter 4 and this verse 16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace to find help in the time of need, it says. And in Psalm 22, we have a messianic psalm. So it's a psalm that's talking to us about Christ. And it says there, and this is, this is as though Jesus was speaking, it says here, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. One who see me, or all who see me mock me, they, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. From my mother's womb you have been my God. So, you know, we know that when Jesus was on the cross, this is exactly what happened. People were looking at him and they were mocking him and they were casting insults at him and shaking their head at him. It goes on and it says, He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you even when I was on my mother's breast. And that's exactly what they said to him when he was on the cross. And yet Jesus, in the midst of all of that, was remembering, you know, God has got me here for a purpose. I'm here because God is doing something. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. So he's feeling the pain and he's feeling alone and he knows what it's like to feel that way. He didn't sin, but he knows what it's like to feel that pain. To feel the fact that it's not just happening now. I mean, he probably, um, well, everybody probably would have wanted Jesus to come and stand there and say, okay, here we are, and, and then take over the whole world and then start to do his world rulership from that point. And that's probably what they were hoping he was going to do. But Jesus came to deal with sin first, which meant that he had to die for the sins of the world before he, he takes his rule of this, over the world. And so 
people didn't understand that. And it must have been difficult for Jesus because he knew that they were going to get disillusioned because he wasn't going to be there, the ruling king immediately. He was coming to, uh, to pay the price for sins. It must have been difficult for them. And then it was difficult for Jesus as well. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, in these difficult times of discouragement, in these times when it's tough, he says these words, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out for us, or set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus was suffering on the cross, when Jesus was looking and everybody had deserted him apart from John, John was standing a distance with Mary Magdalene and his mother, but everybody else had run away. Jesus just looked and thought, I can see past the cross. I can see past what's happening. I can see past the suffering. I'm looking past all of that. And I'm looking at what's coming. So he didn't lose heart. He, didn't, he, he wasn't completely and totally abandoned in discouragement. He, he looked past and, and he says, the joy set before him. He could see me sitting here. He could see Phil and, 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 and Ben. He could see us all sitting here. He says, it's worth it. This is worth it. I'm going to go through this thing. I'm going to keep on going. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on going because it's worth it in the end. And, then he, and we're told then in Hebrews to set our eyes on Jesus and look at what Jesus was like and be like Jesus in the difficult times that we face. We're told to be encouraged to be like Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in yourself. He says, think about Jesus. What did Jesus go through? Think about it. So that you don't become discouraged in your pursuit of going through life. Now, there's a guy in the Bible that shows us this in a beautiful way. His name was Joseph. He was a guy that was like a type of Jesus, if you like. And, and his story can be found in the book of Genesis. But it's an amazing story. And I want to tell you that story today so you get a bit of an idea of why it's important to keep on keeping on when times are tough. You see, what we don't see when the difficult times are is what God is planning for us at the end of the exercise. What we can't see when we are in the midst of it, in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the suffering, is why God is allowing that to be. We don't know. We say, what's happening? Why is this happening to me? We can't see what God is planning for us in the future. So I want to talk to you about Joseph. Joseph, when he came on, we start talking about so Joseph, was 17 years old. So that's right in his teenage years. And he, and he was um, an obnoxious young fella, if you'd like. I mean, he was the favorite of the family. There was 12 brothers, and he was the second youngest brother, and he was the favorite. His daddy gave him a special coloured suit that was different to all the others. They all hang around in, in a plain old coloured thing, but he had gaudy colours. His father made it for him. It was the special robes that he used to wear. Uh, on top of that, he was a dobber. You know what a dobber is? Uh, he would tell on you. 
So at 17 years old, he really didn't, he wasn't like, none of, the, none of his brothers liked him because he would dob. He went and saw some problems that were happening. He went straight back to his father and said, you know what's happening over there? These guys are doing this sort of stuff and he got them in trouble. So his brothers didn't like him because he was a dobber. Not only was he a favorite to the father, he was also a dobber. And then he had these dreams, these dreams of self, you know, where he was the most important person in the whole world, you know. He was hated, really hated. The two dreams he had was, one, he, was, he could see himself as, a, uh, as a, a stack of uh, wheat that was standing up there. What do they call that? A sheaf of wheat standing up there. And his brothers were all around him like sheaves of wheat. And they all bowed down to him. And he was standing up there so strong. He was the middle. And they were all... They were all ba- now, this is the youngest, second youngest one in the family. And he's telling his bro- brothers, his older brothers, Hey, listen, guys. I had this dream, and you're going to bow down to me. Well, that's really good for family community, isn't it? You can just imagine it around the meal table. We're really happy about that, Joseph. We're really pleased to see that we're going to be bowing down to you. Like you are the center of the whole. I'm just so glad I know you, Joseph. You know, you're such a high five, Joseph. Will you, will you be careful with me when I'm bowing down to you well you know he was really really despised look his brothers hated him they hated him to the point they wanted to kill him that was and then he comes up and he says I've had another dream this time he says I'm in the sky I'm in the universe and the sun and the moon and all the stars are bowing down to me (laughs) like this is like this guy you got to he is such a big head. He thinks he's the center of the whole universe and even the sun and the moon and all the stars are now bowing down and worshiping at him. Well, you know, he sticks around at home. Dad wasn't real happy about that. Neither was mum because mum is the moon and dad is the sun and they're bowing down to him as well. This, is, this kid, is, his mind is going somewhere. Now just imagine if you're Joseph and, and you had that and, and seriously you love God and God actually spoke to you and you really felt God was speaking to you. This is what God just told me. And you, and you tell everybody else and you hope that everybody else will, will just be so excited about the fact that you're going to be the number one pin in the whole situation. I mean everybody is so pleased about that Joseph. No, they're not. So his brothers and his sisters or his brothers, have all gone farming somewhere, taking their sheep, and, the, and they've gone out there, and they've gone looking after the sheep. And the father says to, to Joseph, why don't you go out, find them, and see how they're doing? So he's at home. He's not, he's not gone out with them. He goes wandering around in a paddock looking for them. He can't find them because they've moved somewhere else. And so this guy says, well, what are you doing wandering around in the paddock, Joseph? You just look like you're lost. He says, I'm looking for my brothers and the sheep and everything. He says, no, they've moved, they've gone somewhere else. And so he starts trekking off to go. And so the brothers are on this hillside somewhere and they've got the sheep and they're all eating and they can see this guy with his bright coat coming toward him. That's Joseph. This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity. Why don't we get him and why don't we cut his ugly face off? Why don't we kill him? Why don't we get him and kill him? And then we'll put blood all over the coat and we'll, we'll, we'll take it home and say, Dad, you know, oh, you know, Joseph you know, got killed by some wild animal. We'll get rid of him. And so as he was approaching and they could see him coming because of his bright coat, 
they hatched up this plan to destroy him. And yet they would have destroyed him and they would have killed him had not one brother sort of had compassion that we better not, you know, better not. Let's just sell him. Put him in a hole and wait for a caravan park to come across and then we'll sell him. And they sold him to some Midianites who were coming with their caravans, with their camels. As they came past, they said, you want to buy a slave? We sell a slave to you. And they sold Joseph to the Midianites. Now that's a big knock in Joseph's little dream. I mean, he had had these profound senses of being important. He had received the special coat. He had, was the father's favorite. He had seen these mighty visions from God. And all of a sudden, he's being sold into slavery. We're told in the passage, if you read through that thing, that he pleaded for mercy, that it was really upsetting to him. As you, you can imagine, you know, this isn't really happening to me. His brother's looking around. They now tie him up. They hold him. And now he's in behind a, car, behind a camel. He's being led away. And his brother's going, bye-bye. They've got his coat. They kill a sheep. They put blood all over it. They take it back to the father and say, something got you, man. Your man's not here anymore. He's dead. And the father believed him. He thought from that time on that his son, Joseph, Joseph his favorite one, was killed by a wild animal. There's only 11 now. As far as his father's, there's only 11. So what happened to Joseph was terrible. He had such dreams. He had such a passion. He had such a, a sense of his own importance. And now he's a slave. When he gets back to Egypt, he is sold into Potiphar's house. I want you to remember that even though it was tough for him, Joseph always thought that God was with him. Even though it was terribly tough for him, he always had that sense that somehow my life is important to God. I had these wild dreams, but I failed. Maybe if I didn't say those visions, maybe if I didn't say those dreams, maybe if I wasn't so arrogant, maybe if I wasn't so, you know, out in my brother's face, maybe if I never dubbed people in, maybe if I had changed my attitude, I wouldn't be in this place right near now. And he sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar has got big concerns. He's got lots and lots of um, money. He's doing lots of business. And he, he, Joseph comes in and says, oh, well, I better make good, not get bitter. Let's get better. I better make good. So he, he busies himself and does the best he can in the situation he's at. He works hard and God is with him. When you work hard and you believe God has got, even if you go through difficult times, God will be with you. It doesn't matter what you face. If you believe God is with you, it doesn't matter the hardships that you're going. Just keep on going for God. Just keep on pressing on there. And all of a sudden, whatever Joseph would do became successful. And the boss, man, he looked at Joseph and says, there's something about you. You're you're, you're the man. And he gives over all of his industry and he gives over all of his family businesses into Joseph. He says, I'm going to go and play golf. You look after the business, Joseph. And Joseph says, yes, sir. He's at the top now. He, everything that Potiphar does, Joseph is in control of. And Potiphar's playing golf. Potiphar's got this wife. Now, the Bible tells us that Joseph was good-looking. 
Man, he was a stud master. This guy, this guy he didn't have a keg like me. He had, he had a six-pack that you, you would die for. He was good-looking. He was very good-looking. I mean, he was... <sighs> the girls looked at him and they go... That's how good-looking he was. And so anyway, he's in Potiphar's house and he's doing all this work in Potiphar's house and Mrs. Potiphar comes in and she goes, Woo! Woohoo! I like this boy. She was a cougar. She wanted this boy. She waits till Potiphar's away and she says, Hey, Joseph, Joseph, how about you and me doing a little number together? You know what? Daddy's away. And Joseph says, no, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, dad has given me everything that I need. He, he's put me in charge of everything and he, he's trusting me. He's had nothing back from me except for you. I got everything else except for you. And I can't do this to him. I can't do it to dad and I can't do it to God. I can't do this. And he refused her. And she would find him another day and she'd say, come on, I just want you. I want you. Here, come to me, baby. And he'd say, no, I can't do this. One day when all the servants were out, he walking and he's doing some stuff. He's got his jacket there and she comes and she says, come to me, baby. Nobody's here. Let's do it. And he says, I can't do that. And he rushes out and she grabs his coat as he's running out. So the servants come in and she says, he tried to rape me. He tried to have his way with me. And she falsely accused him to the servants. Well, when dad came home and he heard what Joseph was meant to have done, he was really cranky with Joseph. I trusted you. I trusted you. I put you in the place. Don't, do, don't, don't talk to me. Don't say a word. I'm just talking now. You listen to me because I'm going to have my peace. I gave you everything. Except my wife, and you tried to take my wife off me. Oh, take him away, take him. Before he could even speak, they carried him away and threw him in the threw him in a prison. He didn't get a trial, nothing. He didn't get to say I didn't do it. He, he just got taken away and thrown in a in a prison. Well, you would get if you were, if it's not your brothers who sell you into slavery. You did good and God came good for you and God was with you. And then all of a sudden, a woman, a woman, a woman falsely accuses you. And you get thrown into a prison. Well, you'd just get really bitter, wouldn't you? You'd get really angry. You'd say, where are you, God? What are you doing to me? Here I am and you're destroying me. What's happening here? You'd, st- you'd get so angry about life. You'd, I'm the victim. Oh, you'd mourn and you'd moan and you'd carry on and you'd complain. I, and I think, he, I think he probably felt all of those things. But he believed God was still with him. And in the middle of this place, in the middle of this prison, he started to not get, bad, not get bitter, he got better. He started to work harder. He says, even in jail, there's something that God can help me to do. I don't have to be dominated by the situation, the circumstances around me. I don't have to be buried by this. I can at least do something here in jail. Even if it's not the place I want to be, at least, at least I can work here. And he started to work hard in jail. 
And as he worked hard in jail, what happened? He started to do things well and God started to bless him. And so that the man who was running the jail says, you know what? You're the man. You're the man. I'm going to give everything into your hand. You're the man, Joseph. You just do what you want. And so he was in control of the whole jail while the jailer went out and played golf. He was running the jail. He knew everything about it. He didn't get bitter. He got better. He had every reason to be bitter. But he got better. One day Pharaoh heard a rumor. Now he's the, he's the prime minister, if you like, the king of Egypt. And he had a rumor about his butler and his baker. That they were trying to overthrow something. And so he just picked up his butler and his baker and he threw them into jail. Guess who was looking after them? Joseph. Because Joseph was the man. So it's been about 10 years since Joseph was sold into slavery. 10 years. He's now 27. Around about 27. 26, 27, 28. So they get thrown into... And while they're there, the butler and the baker have a dream. Each one of them, on the same night, they had a dream, a spooky dream. And they got up in the morning and, he, and Joseph looks and he says, what's so bad? You know, this is a, so you're in jail, it's not so bad. Why are you so glum? You know, he's made, he's made his home in jail. He's, he can be happy in jail, even though the jail is not what he wants. He still can be happy. He says, why are you so glum, butler? Why are you so glum, baker? He says, we have this dream and we don't know what it means. Oh, I've had dreams before. I know what dreams are about. I've had dreams too. I know what the meanings of dreams are. You do? And so each told Joseph their dream. He said to the butler, it's good news for you. He says, in three days' time, you're going to be bought out and you're going to serve wine to the king again. And the baker says, oh, I want some of that good news. So he comes and tells Joseph this. He says, it's bad news for you, buddy. He says, in three days' time, they're going to come up and they're going to take you out and he's going to impale you on a stake and the birds are going to eat the flesh off your bones. Oh. So everybody's watching now. Everybody's watching. One day. Two days. Three days! This is the day! Pharaoh comes down, he takes the butler out, he puts him to his place, and the butler pours wine in the king's cup again. They come and take the, the baker, and they put him on a big sharp stick and go, Whew! put him in the ground, and the birds come and eat him. Before the butler goes to Pharaoh, Joseph says, when you go back to the Pharaoh, when you go back to remember me. I'm the one who can interpret your dreams. I got thrown into this hole. I shouldn't be in this place. This is a great injustice. You know, remember me. Help get me out of my hole. 
Help get me out of my pain. Help me get me out of my situation. My situation is terrible here. I'm suffering here. Help me. When you go to the top, help me. And guess what the battler did when he went there? He forgot him. He was so glad to be there pouring the wine in the king's cup. Out of sight, out of mind. Sorry, Joseph. Joseph stayed in jail another two years. So now he's 30 years old. Remember, he had a vision when he was 17. He is now a man of 30. 30 years old he is. That's some time. That's 13 years of waiting. Pharaoh's not really happy one morning. He gets up. What's wrong, Pharaoh? What's been happening overnight? He says, I've had these two really weird dreams. He says, in the first dream, he says, these seven really fat cows come out of the water of the River Nile, and they sit in there, and they're looking really good. He says, I've never seen cows so good. These cows are brilliant-looking cows. They are stud. Oh, that's great. He said, and then these scrawny, miserable cattle came out, seven of them, they ate the good Full cattle's up, they chomped them up in front of me, and you couldn't even see that they'd eaten them. They were just horrible. Yeah, I don't understand what that means. He said, and then I went back to sleep again, he says, and, and all of a sudden he says, I saw these, these seven big sheaves of wheat come up full and, and, and so fruitful. He says, and then seven scrawny ones come up and eat them. And you wouldn't even know that they'd been eaten. He says, Call all my magicians together. Call all the wise men of pharaohs together. Bring them all in there. And he sat them all down and he said to them all, he says, I've had these dreams. I've had these dreams and they're bothering me. I know there's something in them, but I can't understand what they mean. Tell me what they mean. And they're all sitting there going, yep. Did you have pizza last night? No. Wait, did you have Chinese? No. Wasn't something you ate? Did you drive that new bottle shop down the road? Did you drink their wine? No. We don't know, Pharaoh, what your dreams mean. And then the butler's sitting there going, "It's not looking too good for the wise men. It's not looking good, too good for the for the magicians." Here, have some more wine, buddy. And then it comes to him. I had a dream once. And there was a bloke inside, somebody I met inside jail, he told me the meaning of my dream. And he says, oh, how could I have forgotten that? And he says to the Pharaoh, he says to the Pharaoh, you know, I was inside. You know when you threw me inside because you thought that I was the one that was doing it, it was the other guy? Remember that? Yeah, he says, I, when I was in there, I had this dream, an amazing dream. And he said, in three days, this is what's going to happen and this is how it's going to be. He said, that's what was, and he said, in three days, that's exactly what you did. He knows how to interpret their dreams. And Pharaoh says, go and get him. Go and get him now. So they rushed down to where the jail was. And here he was, sitting there in his misery, in his suffering. From one day to the next, he shifted from the prison to a palace. From one day, it's an instant shift. They take him, they shave him, they close him, they dress him up and close. He now walks before Pharaoh. He's 30 years old. He's been in jail for I don't know how long. It's 13 years since he was sold into slavery. And now he's walking into the presence of the Pharaoh, the king, the top of Egypt. He says, they tell me you can interpret dreams, Joseph. I don't interpret the dreams. 
God is the one who tells the meaning of the dreams. If you tell me the dream, God will tell me the meaning and I'll tell you. So Pharaoh begins the story about the dreams. Pharaoh looks at him and says, well, what's the meaning, Joseph? Well, you'd want to have the meaning, wouldn't you? You know, just imagine if he got bitter and not better. Just imagine in all that time of suffering, he'd gone and hated God. Just imagine in the midst of his suffering, he was saying, I hate you, God. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You said you were going to do this for me. And now look at me. I'm in the pit of despair. I don't want to talk to you anymore, God. You want to throw God out. Just imagine if you'd thrown God out. Here was his moment. He needed to have God in his life. He didn't get bitter. He got better. In the hardships, he didn't get dirty. He got clean. The hardships polished him. The hardships sharpened him. The hardship made him better, not bitter. And so when he stood before Pharaoh, he knew exactly that he still had a good relationship with God Almighty. Be careful when you face the trauma and the trial of delay that you do not get bitter with God. He is your hope. He is your hope. Don't cut that off. You may not understand why and how you got to where you are. You might not understand how long you're going to stay where you are. But understand this one thing. Do not become bitter with God in the midst of it. Because he is your hope. He is your triumph. And so when Pharaoh asked Joseph, what's the meaning? He said, the two dreams are the same. He says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of flourishing, great harvests. He says, where there's going to be so much food, you're not going to know what to do with it all. He says, and that's going to follow by seven years of famine. They're going to eat up all of the harvest of the seven years of abundance. And he says, you need Pharaoh to get somebody who knows what they're doing to look after your kingdom in the seven years of abundance. He says, or oh, it's going to be terrible when the seven years of famine come. And they all looked at Pharaoh and they said, you know, Pharaoh, I think he's standing right there before you, the one that you should be looking for. And from an instant, Joseph ceased to become a prison of injustice he was elevated to the throne and there was no one near him. He was second in charge to Pharaoh. He ran the whole of the land while Pharaoh played golf. We're told that he got married. <clears throat> And we read these. Before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of uh, Potiphar. Can't get the lid off. Um, <clears throat> priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles. Thank you. And all my 
in my father's house. So, you know, it had become so good for him in Pharaoh's household that he forgot his family of origin. Imagine that. That's what you want, isn't it? I mean, if your family, if your family has been a pain to you, you know what? We need just a big axe and just chop it off and forget him. Put him in the background and forget him. You know, I am so happy where I am now. God has made me forget all of my pain and all of my family. Well, look, if your family causes you grief, why don't you just cut him off? And that's what he did. He forgot completely about his vision and his dream. He was just enjoying the good life. Here I am. I'm driving around in my B&W chariot. I got my plenty of horses on the front of it, and he did. He had a real good chariot and plenty of horses, and he was just forgetting about his family. Every day he just looked at his sons and he looked at his wife and said, this is the good life. Then he had another son. The second son he named Ephraim. He says, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So he'd gone through some real pain. And he just hung on to God. And he didn't quit. And God made him fruitful in the land of his suffering. Now I figure he may have thought that that was the end of the exercise. No more worry. I got all I need now. I got my BMW chariot. I got my wife and my kids in my palace. I got my future. It's all looking rosy. And this is all when the, when the fat cows around the land before the famine came. While he was doing that, <clears throat> he was building barns. Big barns. And in the barns, he was putting all the extra food. So in every city, they had this huge, great big barn, great big silo full of grain. And they were just filling them all up so that there was grain. He said, we're keeping a tally of it, Pharaoh, but we, we stopped keeping a tally of it because we can't keep count anymore. There's so much of it. It's just, it's everywhere. I mean, you walk it and there's just grain everywhere. And then the rain stopped. And the seven years of famine came. It only takes a couple of weeks and people get hungry. They run out of food. Pharaoh, we need some food. Please. He says, oh, come on in there. You got some money there? Well, we'll give you some food. So now Pharaoh's getting really wealthy. Because he's selling people who are hungry food. He's giving them some food. Well, way, 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 way back in the, in the faraway land, way, way back in, 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 in Joseph's history, we have Jacob and his brothers, his living brothers saying, you know, the, the rain stopped, Dad. There's no rain. There's no grass for the sheep. What are we going to do? We're going to die. Israel will stop right here and die. There'll be no brothers. There'll be no nation. We won't be able to fulfill God's purpose. We better go and see if we can find something to eat because it's, the rain has stopped, Dad. And Dad says to them, you know, you, I hear they've got grain in Egypt. Why don't you walk down to Egypt and get some food for us? So they travel all the way down to Egypt. And they get down to Egypt and they, well, you know, 
Joseph has been dressed up. He didn't look like he used to look. You know, he had that eyeliner on and the makeup and the funny hairdo, you know, like they all had. He looked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He, he was, as for all intents and purposes, he was an Egyptian bloke. And so when his brothers come in, they're looking for some food. Joseph looks at them and goes, oh my goodness. This is a shake from the past. This is something out of the, something out of the era of my descent. I didn't even know they were still alive. And here they are and they're asking for food. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to make them bow down low. And he begins to work them. Tell me about your life. Have you got a father? How many are there? Have you got any other? Of course, he knows them all. They don't recognize him, but he knows them all. He knows who's missing. Benjamin's younger brother is missing. Where's Benjamin? He didn't say the name. He says, yeah, you know, and they told him the truth. They said, oh, we better tell him the truth because we're honest men. Yeah, I know we sold Joseph into slavery and we lied to our father. But, you know, nobody will ever know about that. But we're basically honest people, even though we did some bad stuff. Oh, yeah, we got this. There is 12 brothers. One of them is not. He's gone now. And this and Benjamin, we got And there's a dad and a mum back home. And so he says, you guys are spies. You come here to spy on Egypt. And he gives them a hard run, you know. So they're all scared and they're all frightened of him, you know. He just starts to work this thing. You've got to make them sweat a bit. So he gives them, eventually he says, okay, next time you come, if you don't bring your younger brother, you know what? You are spies. So one of you guys is going to have to stay here. Which one? Simeon, you can stay here with him. You know, have fun. We're going with the food back to mom and dad. You know, by Simeon. So Simeon gets locked up in jail. That's not a good look. And he sends the others away. When they get back to dad, they eat the food. <laughs> Poor Simeon. At least they might be feeding him in jail and the food runs out again. You better go back and get some more food, says dad. Get some more food because we're running out of food. Go back and get some more food. Oh, we can't go back, dad. Why? Why can't you go back? Well, because we have to take Benjamin with us. Oh, says dad, you can't have Benjamin. He says, I lost my other son. He's the only one left of that woman. I want that. I don't, you can't take Benjamin from me. He's my other favorite one. No, we have to take Benjamin. We have to take Benjamin. Otherwise, he won't give us food. He'll think that we're slaves and he, will, he won't give us anything. We've got to take Benjamin. One of them says, I swear, I'll, if, if you bring it onto my head if, if, if he doesn't come back. And eventually, dad says, okay, you can go. But you better bring Benjamin back. He's my other favorite. Don't have favorites, adults. It's not good for the kids. Doesn't build up good rapport if parents have favorites, if you're not one of the favorites. So they journey back and then they come. Oh, while they were going away, <laughs> he gave them some food and then he put their money back in their bag so that when they opened it up, it had 
He got, they saw the money they had paid for the food. They saw it back in the bag. And they thought, oh, we're, we're dead meat when we go back because he'll think that we stole the food and took our money back. And we, oh. So they were really freaking out. I mean, you can imagine the fear and trembling. They were just coming into jo- And he was standing there in front of Joseph. And they're, oh, I'm just about wetting my pants. I'm so nervous. Oh, he's going to tell he's going to kill us. I tell you, he's going to cut us up. And he's going to stick us on, on, a, on a stick and, and make the birds pick our hairs off. They were frightened, seriously frightened, and they ought to have been. They go back. Joseph's servants are told by Joseph, take him back to my place. Bring him back to my place. I want them at my place. Well, they know that they're going to Joseph's place, so they are seriously, seriously scared now because they think they're going to face the music with Joseph. Come back and Joseph sees him and he sees his brother. He looks at his younger brother. He hasn't seen him for 13 years. This young man has grown up. He loved his younger brother. He was the second, eld- second youngest and that was his younger brother from the same mother. And he loved him. So he looked at him and he was... <laughs> he wanted to cry. He didn't know what to do with it. He said, oh, I just want to hug him and hold him and, and kiss him and, and say, hey, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's your brother Joseph. You know, he had to run out of the room. He had to run out of the room and, and compose himself and say, oh, get it together, Joseph, get it together. Stop losing it, stop losing it. <laughs> you can see him. He's my brother, my brother I haven't seen for 13 years. He thinks I'm dead and here I am looking at him. He's my brother. He wants to hug him. He wants to kiss him. He brings himself together and he comes back and he looks at him and he starts dealing with him. And they are seriously scared. So after a little bit of time, he commands all his servants to leave the room. And he says, hey guys, it's me. Who's you? It's me. Look, take my mascara off. Take my rouge off. Take my funny hair off. Look, it's me. Homie, it's me. It's your brother, Joseph. They're looking, oh, it's Joseph. Now they're really freaking out. Why? Because Joseph's going to kill him. It's Joseph. Oh, get down really low on the ground. Bow down lower, boys. No, no, Joseph's not like that. They're getting down as low as they can go because they know they're in serious trouble now. And down deep low they go, bowing down before him, just like the vision just like the dream. Right down low. What would have happened if Joseph had got bitter? He says, and I love this. I love this. Look at what he says. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph and one you, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He had this perception that was better, not bitter. He said, I didn't say I'm going to get you now. I've been waiting for 13 years for this day. I knew you would come sooner or later and I'm going to chop your head off and I'm going to put it on top of the... No way. 
He said, it was God who sent me before you. You mean you interpret me throwing you into a ditch, me saying, I hate you, I hate you. No, 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 you're going into slavery as being a calling from God, that God was in that whole process. Yes, yes, everything that you meant for harm, God meant for good to save your life. Now listen, that's a better idea, isn't it? That's a better notion. That's better than bitterness, isn't it? You get into some really deep water. You get through some really hard stuff. You go through some really difficult times. And if you get bitter, bitter towards God and you get bitter towards life, you can't be part of the solution. You're part of the problem. Joseph didn't get better. Peter, he got better. He was part of the solution. He said, all the hardship, all the pain, all the difficult times, all the suffering... Well, so I could help you. Grab that. How much suffering and how much pain have you been through in life? It's not finished yet. How much? Some of you just started the suffering and the pain. Some of you have been in it for some time now. I want to say one thing to you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not quit. And the only way I know that you don't quit is you don't become bitter when things are tough. You become better by coming into God and saying, God, I don't understand what this is all about. I can't even see what this pain is about. But one thing I do know, I think you are with me and you can make me better in this situation and all of this will help save others' lives. All of this will help me to help others in this situation. All of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the injustice, all of the difficulties that I've gone through in life will help me to be better in a community that is dying and starving and going to hell. Friends, listen to me now. Things will always be in delay. But God has a moment... And in God's time, he will make it good. Just make sure you're friends with God when he makes it good. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Just bow your heads. You might have been struggling with a sense of bitterness. It may have been difficult times that surround you. And it's not been easy. It's not been good. But you recognize that the bitterness is not going to be part of where you've got to go in the future. You want to become better, not bitter. So you want to give it to Jesus and you say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it, but I'm giving it to you and I'm building my relationship with you better today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Things are tough. It's been horrible. You just want to get better because you can help other people. Father, Lord, you see all the hands that are raised. They're not raising them to me. They're raising them to you. They're saying, Lord Jesus, you've spoken to their heart by your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I ask you to soothe them with your spirit, Lord Jesus, 
to calm their bitter hearts, to restore them, Father, with hope, Lord Jesus, so that they can run and not be weary, so, so that they can walk and not faint, Lord Jesus, so that they can rise up on wings of eagle, Father, above the circumstances that are around them, Father, so that they know that you are in them, Lord, and that you are there to strengthen them, Father. Lord, I pray for each one of them now in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. Fill them, Lord Jesus, with hope. Fill them, Lord Jesus, with, with a positive sense, oh God, that you are in this mix. Even though it's painful, Father, that you are in this mix for good and not for evil. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Take it now. It's yours in Jesus' name. You may be seated.